Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I guess my first question is, when did you first realize that you were sick? I never was sick. Um. That's the guy we're calling Buddy. He's in the car with my colleague Jillian Weinberger. Uh, Did you end up in the hospital at any point? Yeah, they wrongfully put me in a psych floor and I told them I had abdominal pain and I went and checked out and they didn't do their job. Buddy is 36 years old. He lives with his mom and his stepdad in Summit County, Ohio, near Akron. Jillian went to visit him because Buddy is part of a unique mental health program in his hometown. But he doesn't really understand why. They ain't supposed to put someone in a psych floor. They went against my uh, rights. Buddy is on the short side and very thin with close-cropped black hair and a goatee. We've changed his name to protect his privacy because he has a tough diagnosis, unspecified schizoaffective disorder. That means Buddy has a lot of delusions. He believes things that aren't true. And he ended up in the hospital recently because he went off his medication, an injection he's supposed to get once a month. Buddy's case manager, Stacy Stahl, is in the car, too. She reminds him what happened. You were off the shot, and then you ended up back in the hospital complaining about, you know, the pain in your abdomen. But, you know, when you went in, you were saying, oh, I think it's this, the baby arm. She's saying the baby arm. You went into that, which is the reason why you're admitted it. But it still don't mean that a motor rail, which is the number one fiction science body part, shouldn't be in my body. That's one of Buddy's delusions, that a surgeon put a robotic baby arm inside of him. And when he went off his meds, he walked into the emergency room and told doctors he needed them to take it out. They put him on the psych floor. Buddy had been there before, and that's part of the reason he ended up before a judge. The court ordered him into outpatient treatment, completely against his will. This is the unique program I mentioned earlier. It lets Buddy live at home, but he is forced into outpatient treatment. And it all hinges on a series of formal court visits before a judge. Jillian rode along in the car with Buddy when he was on his way to a court date this past August. How did it make you feel to be in the courtroom? I don't like courtrooms. 
I just don't like courts at all, really. I know what I'm doing out here in society. I obey the laws and do what's right. In 2005, Buddy got in a fight with one of his neighbors. The details are murky, but we do know that Buddy pulled out a gun. We know Buddy shot him. The neighbor died, and Buddy was convicted of manslaughter. At the time, he was not medicated. This is The Impact from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Sarah Cliff, and today we are talking about mental illness, severe mental illness, and the best way to care for people who suffer from it. The United States has struggled with this for decades. President Kennedy talked about it in his last State of the Union address. This was 1963. I believe that the abandonment of the mentally ill and the mentally retarded to the grim mercy of custodial institutions too often inflicts on them and their families a needless cruelty, which this nation should not endure. Later that year, President Kennedy signed a law that was supposed to get patients like Buddy out of hospitals and back into their communities, into outpatient treatment. That hasn't really worked. A lot of mental health patients end up homeless these days. Many of them are in jail or in prison. One recent study found that more than half of all inmates have some kind of mental illness. Summit County, Ohio, thinks it has a solution. Court-ordered outpatient treatment. It's often called assisted outpatient treatment, or AOT for short. That is sort of what President Kennedy hoped for, treatment outside of the hospitals and in the community. But the treatment is enforced by the courts, and that's what makes it very controversial. Some studies have found that AOT works, and that evidence was convincing enough for the federal government. One of the last pieces of legislation that President Obama signed, it included millions of dollars to spread this model all across the country. But because AOT is forced, some psychiatrists say it will never work in the long term. They say it violates patients' rights and that it destroys the trust in doctor-patient relationships. Does Summit County have the answer? Jillian takes it from here. The Summit County Probate Court is part of an imposing brownstone complex in downtown Akron. Stacy and I were walking in when I asked her about Buddy's state of mind. To me, he seemed very sick, but Stacy's been working with Buddy for years. She said that when he doesn't take his medication, the delusions are much worse. You can't redirect him from that conversation. It, and it's just constant. He loses sleep, you know. It's really sad, actually. But with the meds, he still talks about it, but it's not first and foremost. Buddy's program is part of the civil court system in probate court. That's the kind of court that handles issues like marriage, adoption, and guardianship. Summit County has one probate judge, Eleanor Marsh Stormer. So I understand there was a little bit of a problem with the medicine. Judge Stormer has spent 26 years on the bench. She has a wide open face and warm brown eyes. 
She keeps her gray curls short, a no-nonsense hairdo that reflects her demeanor in the courtroom. Everybody had the same information. Does everyone have the same information now? Before I went into journalism, I used to work with judges, and I can say Judge Stormer is unique. A lot of her peers are pretty traditional. The way they hear cases, the way they deliver decisions, it looks pretty much like the way their predecessors did it. But Judge Stormer isn't interested in maintaining the status quo. She wants to improve it. People who present to courts are in a moment in time where we can positively and quote-unquote therapeutically affect a change in their life. As a lawyer, Judge Stormer saw a lot of drug addiction in the criminal justice system. So she ran for judge. She started Summit County's first drug court. She wanted to do something similar for patients suffering from mental illness. There were a lot of them in the courtroom, too. And she saw that the civil court system left a lot of gaps in patient services. Here's how it used to work. Someone gets picked up by the police. They're mentally ill. They're a danger to themselves or others. They get committed to the hospital. They stay in the hospital for a period of time, and they're released to the street. They're told, make your appointment with your psychiatrist, go see your case manager. Some people do that. A lot of people don't do that. The ones that don't, they usually ended up back in the hospital and the whole thing started all over again. Judge Stormer wanted to stop that cycle. So the New Day Court was born. So now when they're released, instead of just saying, go live your life, we say you're part of the New Day Court. We pick New Day because it's the first day of the rest of your life. It's a new day for you today. Judge Stormer started the New Day Court last year. It's like the centerpiece of Summit County's Assisted Outpatient Treatment, or AOT, program. Every patient works with a team of people outside the courtroom. There's always a psychiatrist and someone like Stacy, a case manager who makes sure the patient gets by day to day gets to his doctor's appointments, has food in his pantry. The judge gets updates from the patient's team before she sees him in court. She uses that feedback to monitor his progress and decide when he needs to come back. Judge Stormer thinks being in court helps patients in their recovery. And not just because she plays this coordinating role. It's because of something she calls the black robe effect. It's a phrase I heard a lot in reporting this story. You know, they come into court and they recognize that this is a place of, majesty is too strong a word, but that, that this is a place where important things happen. And the judge, the person in the black robe, she deserves respect. You're an important person. You sit up higher. You're imbued with a societal and cultural halo, I guess, that you're trying to use to say, let's move you forward. And just having to come before a person in authority makes a huge difference for many, many, many people. You bring the boyfriend today. No, he's working. Is he? Okay. There are usually around 65 patients in the program, but they're seen at different rates depending on how they're doing. Some have to come in every two weeks, others every few months. So how do you think you're doing? The court meets every other Wednesday, and the courtroom looks like your average law and order set. Wood paneled with tiers of seats all facing a raised bench. Are you having any problems at all? That's where Judge Stormer sits, flanked by the American flag and the state flag of Ohio. All the patients are in there together. They watch as their peers go up to Judge Stormer one by one. Now, I understand there's some concerns about you being transferred to a different... The case managers, people like Stacy, go up with them. Sometimes family members join them too. 
Having all the patients in the room at once, that's part of Judge Stormer's treatment philosophy. The patients who are doing well go first. The patients who are struggling go later. And the new patients go last. So they watch everyone before their names are called. So you get to realize by the time you have to come up in front of me, nothing bad is going to happen to you. You're not going to be taken to jail. Nothing horrible happens. The day I visited, Judge Stormer had these movie tickets to give to the patients who were doing well. I sat next to her on the bench, and she wrote notes to me as the clients came up, one by one. We're not using names here to protect their privacy. One of the first people called was a woman who was maybe in her late 20s. She was dressed casually in jeans and a t-shirt with her messy brown hair pulled back in a loose bun. As she walked up, Judge Stormer scribbled to me, tried to commit suicide three months ago. Well, I see that you're enrolling in school. I am. I think that's a tremendously positive step forward. I'm going to be pursuing my associates in uh, hospitality management. Yeah, I think we had talked about that. You're the baker? Are you the baker? I'm going to try. Yeah. We do love us some baked goods, don't we, here in court? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you can try me out. And how are the kids? Kids are doing good. They're back in school. Good. Um, Did you go to the movies? Yes, we did. We saw the Emoji movie. Oh, did you? Did they like it? They loved it. Um, it was the movie they wanted to see yeah, the most, good. so that's the movie we went to see. I'm glad. I'm glad and that thanks to out. you, they were able to see it. So. Well, no thanks to you. So I will see you sometime towards the end of September. A few more success stories come up. One patient gets a round of applause. A few others get movie tickets. And then come the clients who are still struggling. One of them comes up about a quarter of the way through the afternoon. She's probably in her mid-50s with wild gray hair and a few missing teeth. So tell me what's been going on with you. It sounds like... You know, you same old thing. Same old thing. Yeah. Um, I'm concerned that sometimes things that you think are happening aren't really happening. What's no. going on with that? No? no? really no. Okay, what are you thinking about that? Uh, I just think it's baseline. That's the caseworker. Okay. She takes her medications and everything okay. is prescribed, so I just think it's her baseline. She's saying that she thinks this is just the patient's baseline, that the patient might always have some problems with delusions. Okay. It doesn't mean to find me something to do with what makes me feel better. Well, all right, I'm let's talk about on what, what do you think you could do? What would you like Going to do? Going to Choices and Exercise. Choices is a community center in Akron. Good. Have you been doing that? Not yet. I haven't gotten to it yet. Well, you're going to see me in four weeks. Okay. So at least I've gone four times. Okay. And then we'll talk about it. Okay. All right? Oh, yeah. Getting out of the house makes me feel good. I bet it does. Yeah. All right. Thank see you. you then. Have a good oh, day. You too. A few more patients came up. And then a little later, Buddy approached the bench. He's the patient I drove in with. Judge Stormer asked him about a hernia surgery he was scheduled for an actual surgery, one he truly medically needed to have. And given Buddy's past experiences in hospitals and his delusions about surgeons, he was really, really anxious about it, which is why he asked Judge Stormer this. I'd like to know if in any way possible I'd be able to have a, a law enforcement officer next to my bed along with somebody that works for the state that knows all the human body parts where they don't try to do anything stupid. Um, here's what I can do. I can't do that. I can't do that. But what we can do is make arrangements for you to get records. Would that make you comfortable if we get your records? You can take a look at them. Because why, why wouldn't I be able to have something one next to my bed in case they try to they, break Because they cost 20-something bucks an hour. Damn. Yeah, I know. 
generally speaking, you don't have to worry about them doing anything during these surgeries. But if you're concerned about it, we can always get your records afterward. Yeah, can I do that afterwards, get the records? Yes, we can do that afterward. Judge Stormer knew about Buddy's delusion, that he thinks a doctor implanted a robotic arm inside of him. But she also knew he needed this surgery, so she quickly addressed his concern. Then Buddy had another question. I can discontinue having to take shots because they don't help me do that for me. I'll tell you what, I think the shots are working because you sure, (laughs) I'm telling you, you look so much better. You were all over the place when I first met you. I was in deep zone, huh? Deep zone. Yeah, wherever. You weren't exactly here (laughs) with me. So today I feel like we're having a really good chat. Damn. No, you look good. Thanks. So when would I be able to discontinue taking shots? Would that be a deadline? Um, you're with me for a while, so you're going to be taking the shots while you're with me until something else. Let's get through this hernia surgery. Let's let things get sorted. Then we can have a chat about changing the medicine, okay, and what the steps are. I'm saying, like, changing, like, all together, the whole thing. Yeah, we ain't changing all together until after you have the surgery. Okay, let's get through the surgery. Let's get things settled down one step at a time. This is the black robe effect in action. Buddy respects Judge Stormer. He listens to her, even if he doesn't like what she tells him to do. But this also reflects something else in Judge Stormer's approach. She really sees every patient as an individual. She knew not to challenge Buddy's delusions, but she didn't indulge them either. And she found a tailored solution to his paranoia, seeing the records. That really did seem to calm him down. I was impressed. But then there was this interaction toward the end of the day. A new patient approached the bench. She looked to be around 50 years old, her hair was gray, and she wore it in these two braids down her back. She kept her hands in her pockets as she talked to Judge Stormer. It says here you have five children. Where are your children? uh, The two oldest are with their dad, the third one's with his dad, the fourth one is with my sister, and the fifth one's adopted. Okay. Well, the fourth one's adopted, too. And you're on birth control? No. Oh. Oh, no? No, I've got two grandsons, but I'm celibate, so. Oh, well. I don't think think anything's going to happen. Well, you never know. (laughs) (laughs) They have long-acting birth control now. They just gave you a little shot. Just, uh, you don't need any more kids on on your list right now. This is where the black robe effect makes me nervous. Maybe it is in this patient's best interest to go on birth control. But having a judge tell her that gives me pause. It reminds me of some of the worst moments in our country's history. The idea that the state dictates who gets to have children and when. Then again, the New Day court isn't your average courtroom. It's sort of a hybrid space with lawyers and social workers and doctors all working together. And when I told a lawyer friend about this moment, she asked if I'd have the same concern if a state-employed social worker or if a doctor made a similar suggestion. I see her point. I don't think that would worry me as much. But my concern goes back to the black robe effect. These patients see Judge Stormer as the ultimate authority. She has a different kind of influence compared to those doctors and social workers. Something bigger, even more powerful. That influence also worries some psychiatrists. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll hear from a graduate of the New Day Court. 
and from a doctor who says that while our mental health system might be broken, the Summit County model is not the way to fix it. I don't think that we've figured it out yet in a way that merits the harm, which is to rob someone of individual rights. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to The Impact. Today, we are at a courthouse in Summit County, Ohio. I'll let Jillian pick it back up from here. After a long afternoon in New Day Court, I wanted to speak with someone who had successfully completed the program. Judge Stormer had this one person in mind. We talked in the library, just off the main courtroom. My name is Sean Walker. Are you working right now? Not at this specific moment in time other than my art. Sean is 38 years old. She wears her hair in an afro. The day we met, it was held back with a navy bandana. Her jewelry was amazing. She makes it herself. Earrings with copper beads and feathers, connected by chains between the holes in her lobes. You can hear it tinkling sometimes when she talks. Sean had a really difficult childhood. Her mom was addicted to drugs and physically abusive. Sean eventually became a ward of the state. And at the age of 15, she was diagnosed with schizoaffective bipolar disorder and psychosis. That means she has delusions like Buddy, but also a lot of other symptoms like mania and depression. It's really hard to imagine getting that diagnosis as a 15-year-old. So I asked her when she managed to accept it. <sighs> to be truthful, I still don't accept it. I, I know me. I know where I came from. I know who I am. If they have to put a label on it so they can better categorize it and understand it, then if that's what makes them feel better. As an adult, Sean lived on her own for years. But eventually, she ran into problems with her landlord. She had to leave her apartment. And she ended up in the hospital. It was a really difficult time. It was just thing after thing after thing after thing. It's like being caught in a mudslide. And anything you reach for gives. It's like drowning. And then, last year, she entered Judge Stormer's court. 
What was it like your first time being My here? My first at Armor On, Duke's Up, you know. And she was very nice from the get. And she explained that it was not an adversarial court. You know, it's quite the opposite. But like at that point in time, I don't want to listen to anybody because nobody's listening to me. Judge Stormer remembers meeting Sean for the first time. I know she was disheveled. That would be my major impression of her, was that she appeared to be rather unkempt, and she didn't want to look me in the eye. She barely spoke. She was very suspicious of her case manager and, frankly, the entire system, and very focused on the system as opposed to what was happening with her. But eventually, she won Sean's trust. She actually paid attention to what I was saying, and she moved to help me in any way that she could. So, you know, slowly but surely, the ice melted. <laughs> and um, she, she's a really great person. She genuinely wants to help. I'm not even in court anymore, and she still continues to help me if I need help. And Sean sees a change in herself. Do you feel different at all from how you did about, like a year and a half ago? I'm not as enraged. The anger is still there, but it's not, like, seething. And the thing is, you know, I have a right to be angry, but there's still choices. Am I angry? Yes. Am I going to go out and do something that's going to get me in trouble because I'm angry? No. She knows how to cope. I have things that I can work with when I'm angry. I can do my art. I can write. I can go take a jog, take a walk through the park. Sean also sees a psychiatrist. Did you have to take medication or? Yeah. You just, you just made such a face. <laughs> yeah, there's always medication involved. Yes. Do I agree with it? Shaking your head. <laughs> no. Sean is not a fan of the medication. I asked her if she has to get injections, like Buddy. No shots. I wouldn't. I'm not agreeing to that. At least if the medicine isn't going right, you can stop taking the pills. If you take a shot, it's in for the duration. So you got to ride it out. And no. Nah. Do you do you take them every day or? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Sean said yeah into my microphone and I laughed because she was shaking her head no. She doesn't take her medication every day. And this really surprised me. A graduate of this program, a patient handpicked by the court to speak to a reporter, doesn't take her medicine every day. Okay, so that's a hugely common experience. This is Dr. Irene Herford. She's a psychiatrist and a researcher at the University of Pennsylvania. She works with patients who have psychosis. And she's also become a critic of assisted outpatient treatment, that program in Ohio. But we'll get to that in a minute. First, I told her about my interaction with Sean. There's a wish to look better, healthier, um, happier to the people that are kind of responsible for getting you that way than you really may feel. This happens with her patients a lot. I have people that I really think I have a good working relationship with and like I really believe that we trust each other. And it'll come out like either... I'll check a blood level or they'll tell their therapist or their parent will call me up and say, did you know that he's not taking his medication? And I'm like, really? Here's what Dr. Herford thinks is going on. 
Sean really likes Judge Stormer. She doesn't want to disappoint this person who is committed to helping her. But she still doesn't want to take the medication. So as long as she can kind of hold it together well enough to pretend like she's taking the medication, she'll do it. Dr. Herford has worked with patients like Buddy and Sean for a long time. She runs an outpatient program in Philadelphia. So she's very familiar with the problems in our mental health system. I asked her to describe what patients usually go through. Let's say that you have a kid who starts having psychotic symptoms. And you're looking for a provider. And you've got insurance. And there's like only a handful of providers on your insurance panel. And they're all full. So you take your kid to see a private doctor, a psychiatrist who doesn't take insurance. But the private doctor is like 300 and something dollars an hour. So that's unrealistic for you in the long run. In the meantime, your kid is getting sicker. He gets hospitalized. And then they get sent to some community mental health center. And you're told the best option for them is for them to get on Medicaid, which you do, to get them the care. And now they bounce around from community mental health center to community mental health center. And at least they can see a doctor, so that's an improvement. But the care that they get feels impersonal and it feels like people are overworked and there's a lot of turnover and like, and it's such a mess. So that's kind of care as usual. That sounds horrible, but Dr. Herford doesn't think that outpatient commitment is the best solution. She has had to commit patients against their will, but it's an absolute last resort. She worries about her patient's civil rights, but even more than that, she doesn't think it works in the long run. There's just no such thing as effective mental health care in the absence of trust. Nobody is like, you know, I don't trust my doctor, but um, I'm getting a lot better under his or her care. That just doesn't happen. If she forces a patient into treatment, Dr. Herford says that trust is broken. That's a big problem for patients who have delusions because they fully believe in this alternate reality. She used me as an example. In your case, like being a reporter, like if I said, well, that's not true. And not only do I not believe it's true, but I'm actually going to like lock you on an inpatient unit against your will, where you may or may not have to take medication because of this thing that you believe, I'm a reporter. When you get out, even if your mindset has shifted a little bit, are you going to feel like you trust that person again? Probably not. When these patients get out of forced treatment, they may recognize that they needed help. But Dr. Herford says that the delusion, that thing that they believe to be true, it doesn't fully go away. And neither does the terror of not being believed by their doctor, the person whose job it is to care for them. Dr. Herford says it takes a long time to rebuild that trust when she has to force a patient into treatment. Sometimes it's just gone for good. So what kind of treatment does she want for these patients? She told me about the program she runs in Philadelphia. It's for patients who have just had their first psychotic episode, right at the beginning of their illness. She calls it a dedicated team approach. 
you have a therapist and a doctor and you have a supported employment specialist or a supported education specialist and a peer mentor and a nurse and an occupational therapist. That's a big team of people and they all work together to support the patient and the patient's goals. What do you want to do? What is your goal? Like here you are, you're trying to finish high school, but for what? And what's getting in the way of you finishing high school? And what can we do to get those obstacles out of the way for you? All this does sound ideal, but it's rare. Dr. Herford admits that most patients don't have access to that kind of care. Before we wrapped up our conversation, I told her that most of the doctors and case managers I met in Summit County, they said their patients would probably be in the hospital or in jail if they hadn't ended up in AOT. She agreed to a point. It is also almost certainly true that there are people in that AOT program who could be doing just as well if they had the same resources, but without the coercive aspect. The data doesn't necessarily bear that out. AOT is hard to study, but there is one report that caught my eye. It looked at the model in New York, and the authors compared patients in AOT to patients who have intensive services without a court order. The group with the court order was way more likely to stay in treatment and way less likely to be hospitalized. Members of Congress looked at studies like this one. They were sold. They decided to include a lot of funding for AOT in a law, one of the very last laws President Obama signed before he left office. We're joined by a whole bunch of members of Congress here today, and it is wonderful to see how well uh, Democrats and Republicans uh, in the closing days of this Congress came together around a common cause. It's called the 21st Century Cures Act. It had a bunch of different provisions, but one of them was called the Helping Families in Mental Health Crisis Reform Act. That part was championed by a Republican representative. My name is Tim Murphy. I'm a United States Congressman from the 18th District of Pennsylvania. I'm also a psychologist and um, the only practicing mental health professional in elected federal government. I talked to Murphy when he was still a congressman. You may have heard about him earlier this year. While I was reporting this story, the press discovered he was having an affair. And then there was this whole abortion scandal around the affair. Long story short, Congressman Murphy is no longer in office. He resigned in early October. But before any of that happened, he was the advocate in Congress for assisted outpatient treatment. What appealed to me about AOT is that it works. Congressman Murphy first got federal funding for AOT back in 2014. That included $13 million for 17 communities across the country to set up AOT programs. The legislation signed by President Obama included millions of dollars more. But Congressman Murphy wasn't just convinced by the studies. It was his experience treating people with severe mental illness that really led him to see these patients in a particular way. I work with people with schizophrenia and bipolar illness, and when they're in the throes of their illness, it is a qualitatively different way of viewing the world when they are caught up in their delusions. I could see Stacy saying this about Buddy, or Judge Stormer saying this about Sean. Even Dr. Herford might say the same thing about some of her patients. But we also wanted to ask about Dr. Herford's concerns. How would the congressman decide when a patient has to be committed? Sarah asked him. 
where is that line of when it's okay to take away that liberty and say, you know, you, you need to go into you treatment? You on the liberty, and I'm telling you, it's different. If a person doesn't even know what planet they're on, what liberty are you talking about? He says that's why the judge is there. A judge is there to protect their rights. A judge is there to make sure they are not abused by the system. And so that is built into the system that their civil liberties are protected, while at the same time being aware of, of the cognitive limits that they have in the throes of their severe mental illness. That leaves a lot up to the judge. When I talked to Dr. Herford, I told her about some of Judge Stormer's successes in the courtroom, and she was impressed. So I would have to say that I think that you probably walked into a wonderful courtroom with an exceptional judge. In my experience, that's not necessarily true. Not every judge is Eleanor Marsh Stormer, and not every psychiatrist is Irene Herford. Dr. Herford is clearly a caregiver who puts her patients' needs first. But she also has a well-funded, full-service program for those patients. That's so rare. And when I was talking to Dr. Herford, I kept coming back to this saying, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. The data we have says AOT is good for some patients, like Buddy. I followed up with Judge Stormer about six weeks after my visit, and I asked her about Buddy's surgery. He was really worried about the surgery, and you said to him, what if we got you the records afterwards? And that really seemed to calm him down. Did you end up doing that? Do you know, now that you're reminding me of that, he didn't ask. He seemed to be very calm about the surgery. He didn't seem focused on that paranoia that people were going to do other things to him or implant things. I asked her about his last court visit. Well, he's much calmer. He didn't seem to be too concerned that there were other forces at work around him. I think we talked about housing for him. So he's much more focused on his own life than concerned about a multitude of other paranoid fixations that he he had previously. So that's progress. It is progress. But how long that lasts is another question. I also followed up with Stacy, Buddy's case manager, and I asked her if she thought Buddy, as I saw him, might be Buddy at his best, at his baseline. Yes. Yes, I've had him for years, and this is just how it's always been. Do you think he might require a court order to get the injection indefinitely? Right. Mm -hmm, For sure. Before this New Day Recovery Court, where he would be ordered to have injections, he would have them only as long as he was ordered. To be clear, there's no way to get an indefinite court order, but Stacy's just saying that she doesn't think Buddy will ever gain insight into his illness. He will probably never recognize that he needs to take medication. Maybe if Buddy had access to a program like Dr. Herford's when he first got sick, maybe then he wouldn't need to be forced into treatment. But he didn't, and most patients still don't. This population has suffered for so long. We've failed them time and time again. So maybe the best we can do is compel them into outpatient treatment for now, but in the long term, advocate for programs like Dr. Herford's. 
Jillian Weinberger is the senior producer for our show. Our producer is Bird Pinkerton. Our editor is Amy Drozdowska. And we have engineering and mixing help from Peter Leonard and Pedro Elvira. Our theme music is by Miles Ewell. We also had music on this episode from Blue Dot Sessions, Chris Zabriskie, Kevin McLeod, and Poddington Bear. Our social media is managed by Julie Bogan. The Impact was co-created by myself, Sarah Cliff, and Liz Sheltons. A special thanks to Herschel Knockless from Dartmouth College and Betsy Johnson from the Treatment Advocacy Center, who both helped us out a lot with this story. As always, we would love to hear what you think of this episode, the rest of the series. You can always reach us over email at impact at vox.com. Next time on The Impact. Death and childbirth feels like a thing of the past, something you would read about in a Dickens novel. But in the United States, the number of moms dying in childbirth, it is actually on the rise. Fortunately, some very good people looked at this and said, wait a second, we got to do something about this. A decade ago, some California doctors came together with ambitious goals. I remember when we're sitting around, you know, everybody going, well, yeah, like we can do that. But we changed the culture. Listen next week to find out how California cut its maternal death rate in half and what the rest of the country can learn from its example.